Hey everybody, this is the Prime by Cortex podcast, the only Cortex Prime podcast where we sit down with Cortex creators to talk about their creations and also the Cortex Prime system and mechanics. And it's also the only podcast where tonight we have special guest host, Josh Roby. Woo! Welcome, Josh. And of course, I am joined by my loyal and dedicated co-host, Kirby. Hey, I'm, I'm probably getting replaced by Josh. Who knows? <laughs> this is Josh's test run. I'm, I'm, and it occurs to me, I'm supposed to say, hey, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about whatever we're talking about. What are we talking about? Yeah, so uh, tonight we've got a special show. We're talking all about relationships. Going to give you some relationship advice. Also known as the best trait set. Ooh, that, those are some uh, big words there. So I guess we'll definitely have to sort of uh, dive some more into that and talk about it. So actually, Josh, since you're our uh, special guest host tonight, why don't you do the honors of telling our listeners exactly what relationships in Cortex Prime are? Okay, sure. Uh, relationships are a trait set. So they're, they're a category of traits, a bucket of traits, if you will. And you have a relationship uh, with the people who are important to your character. So this may be other player characters. It may be GM characters. It may be a mix of the two. At root, it's just their name and a die rating. And that's it's how, depending on the game, it's how well you work with them, how much uh, help you can give them when you work together, or that sort of thing. To really get the ball going, though, you can add trait statements to them. And that is a a short phrase or sentence describing what you feel about them in more uh, verbose terms than a die rating. And once you have the trait statements, you can get into challenging your trait statements. And that's where the real fun begins. All right. Yeah, that was perfect. Okay, you're hired. All right, yeah. Bye, Kirby. <laughs> All right, yeah. Later, guys. Um, so, yeah, Kirby, why don't you tell us a little bit more about these uh, trait statements that uh, Josh mentioned? How do those come into play? Uh, well, I, I think before we start talking about trait statements, it's important to note that, like, as with anything Cortex, if it's important to the character, it has a die rating. And so relationships, they still range from a D4 to a D12. Just kind of like our values episode, uh, having a bigger die for a relationship doesn't necessarily mean it's a positive relationship. And we can add more of a spin to this, and we can define this more with uh, trait statements that Josh mentioned, which, you know, frankly, I'm of the opinion that relationships kind of feel a little naked without trait statements. Basically, trait statements are going to like reflect how you feel about the other person or how you think about them, um, that sort of thing. And so, uh, you know, if I'm sitting here with a, a D8 Josh Roby, uh, I might have a statement that says they are a really cool person. And for JT, maybe I have a D10 a relationship die with you, which is like JT is my absolute nemesis in the podcasting world. Uh, typically, you know, Josh was talking about challenging these statements. I think that's what we're going to talk about today is just 
one, like framing how to work relationships into our games and then what that exactly looks like in different scenarios. Yeah, no, those were uh, all really good points. And uh, yeah, so so as we, as Kirby mentioned, yeah, we've talked about how a lot of these traits, you know, don't necessarily have any value judgments attached to them. So they can be positive or negative. The uh, die ratings really just tell you the strength and importance of that interpersonal relationship, uh, whether negative or positive. So uh, you really do need to look more into the role playing and or the trait statements to get a feel for exactly what sort of relationship any two characters might have. Let me uh, throw this out there then, and whoever wants to can uh, answer, but what sort of games do you think work best? Or like, which sort of games do you think would be good to include relationships as one of the uh, trait sets? Okay, so relationships were developed for Smallville. And if you're going to do anything that's remotely soap opera-y, like Smallville, like all the Arrowverse shows, any dramedy sort of thing, whether it's it's genre with superpowers or not, relationships are really good technology to include. You could do uh, Jane the Virgin. Uh, you could do uh, somebody actually has done Gossip Girl using relationships because that's the thing that drives that kind of show. Yeah, I uh, totally agree with that. So yeah, like soap opera-y type shows, but it doesn't necessarily uh, need to be just like soap opera stuff. Right, Kirby? I personally have a hard time like reading any book, comic, watching any TV show without thinking about relationships as a trait set for a cortexified game of that, right? Um, but it definitely sits with like your your like soap opera like Josh was talking about. I think it could be pretty apt for, you know, if you're doing like an A-team situation. And so that's, yeah. that's not drama, right? It's very like action. And, you know, I mean, frankly, that's what we see in Hammerheads. If you want to take a glance uh, alongside this episode as to like what we're talking about, Hammerheads is the, you know, free mini setting that you can look on the uh, website for. And relationships have tree statements there and it sits there on your sheet. You know, I think that's also part of what we're going to talk about today is like, what that looks like in a game when it's a prime set versus uh, just a regular tree set. I, I think other stuff besides like the drama and action movie, a team stuff would maybe be like, I don't know. I, I feel like if you're doing like a slice of life game, maybe you're doing persona, for example, uh, relationships would be a good mod for that or a good treat for that. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of anime shows, you can uh, definitely throw in some relationships into there. Like uh, I, I've recently been watching like a lot of isekai stuff, which is like going into like another world. And so usually in those shows, you have like a main character that ends up in another world and they end up forming these friendships. Right. And so then they basically have this party by the end that they're good friends with. And you see how all these different relationships played out. Uh, another one that isn't necessarily so so property that I was thinking about too would be something like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where kind of like with the A team, you you got a lot of actiony stuff, but then you also have you know these uh, four brothers and their you know quasi father figure sort of all interacting with each other, and they definitely have some like heart to heart moments, and they have disagreements, and you know they you know learn important lessons together. So 
you know, it can really take a lot of forms, you know, relationships can kind of fit into a lot of different games, I think. You know what that makes me think of? It also reminds me of uh, two things. Well, one, uh, Teen Titans, I, I feel like, would be right up that alley, too. Uh, but then two, since we're talking about, like, heroic teams, whether it's turtles who can do martial arts or uh, superheroes, right? Uh, what could potentially be interesting is, like, having relationship dice uh, or having special effects hang off of relationship dice. This is me spitballing here, but uh, if you think about, like, all the, like, oh, this duo usually teams up to do this special move together, I, I think that could be interesting. It totally could. So I will say that, in general, I try to attach only one thing to a trait set. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to have SFX on relationships, which totally works, yes, I'm not going to have trait statements at the same time. Yeah, that's fair. And part of that is, is complexity, but also if your relationship is defined by your SFX, if it's also defined by a trait statement and that trait statement changes, which they do all the time, then you can get into the situation where that SFX is no longer jiving with your trait statement. Mm. Um, so, Yes. I, I love the idea of, of SFX with trait with uh, with relationships, but uh, I would want to do one or the other and not both. That's a good yeah. point. Although I, I could imagine, and you know, this would have to be sort of like doing your own hacking of the mechanics and stuff. But you could also maybe have changing SFX also. Like uh, if it doesn't apply, then it has to change into something else more appropriate. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I want to step back one just for a moment and say there's there's lots of genres that you can do with relationships but when you include relationships uh you are you are codifying the cast onto character sheets which does have some impact for the shape of the game that develops from there so two shows that seem very similar one would work very well with relationships and one would not for instance like farscape which is, you know, this crew that travels around the universe and has adventures, they would use relationships very easily because they all have relationships with each other that change and they keep running into the same people, despite the fact that they're going all over the universe, right? They keep running into the same people and developing those relationships. Whereas if you look at Stargate, it's another crew of people and they have relationships with each other, but A, those interrelationships don't really change. And they meet new people every episode and they don't wrap around and meet the same people over and over again. It's kind of, it's an oddity when they have somebody come back. So for that one, relationships probably isn't your best bet for that sort of game. That's a very good point. And I do want to like remind listeners that if you don't have relationships uh, as like on your character sheet, uh, but you're finding yourself in the occasional moment, maybe like every other session or whatever, um, thinking, wow, this, this is a really dramatic moment. Uh, how can we make this more impactful? Don't forget that in Cortex Prime, you can spend a plot point to create a relationship die. And unlike regular assets, that relationship die will last for the entire session. So if you're trying to do like a uh, subplot where, you know, you for a session or two, the party is having like some interpersonal problems, you can temporarily introduce relationships that way. Now, one thing that I was just thinking of now that uh, Josh brought it up was that Josh, you sort of gave a um, interesting set of criteria 
for um, what sorts of characters, you know, would probably do better with uh, relationships. And so I was, I was going to say, so do you think that relationships, you know, like, is it, do you, would you say uh, it should only be for the PCs or, or only like if you have like a recurring NPC, should you have a relationship? Sure. So you can, you can set it up anyway, because it's Cortex, right? Um, you can have just the relationships between the PCs. You can have just relationships between the PCs and GMCs. You can have both. And each one of those will shape things later. So like Hammerheads, you just have relationships with your teammates. And you don't even roll your relationships in your own roles. You hand that die to your teammates when you help them out. That's a very different dynamic than a like a, a big continuity-heavy, setting-heavy world where you're interacting with different people and developing opinions about them and relationships. And I mean, really, it, it boils down to what kind of game you want. What, what do you want that game to be focusing on? Whichever one you pick, that, that's where you go. And uh, obviously, you're probably not going to have a relationship with every single character, regardless of what game you're playing. You know, there's always going to be like a certain core cast, like you were talking about, Josh, mm-hmm. that you would have that for. But uh, that's an interesting question. And uh, Kirby, I don't know if you would like to take this question that I thought of on, but uh, what do you, is there like a limit to the number of relationships that any given PC or character should have? It's come up in Discord before where one or two people was talking about like how they were unsure about using relationships in their games. And that kind of stems from like the misconception that every single character is going to have a relationship die and the GM's just going to somehow track 50 uh, NPCs or GM PCs, right? Uh, but that's not the case. Uh, it, it can be the case if that's what you want to do for your game. But in, in general, you're coming at this from the idea that you're going to have a large ensemble cast, yes, but every character sheet for every player is not going to have a unique cast on their sheet. They're all going to share the same people in this cast. So I think that question also comes up when people are looking at their game that has played like Stargate where they just roll all over the world and interact with all sorts of different people, with different people every session, and they try to figure out how to fit that into one section of the character sheet, right? And that's yeah. not how that mechanic is supposed to work, is the answer. Yeah. But you can still do big and rangy and epic with relationships. You just have to accept as a matter of the, the shape of the game that it's going to be big and epic with the same people recurring over and over again. And while this strains credulity when we're talking about history, especially if we don't actually know history, because real history turns out it's the same people all over and over again too. But Mm -hmm. we see this in television all the time. We don't care when it happens in television. It's like we traveled across different planets to a different existential plane and the guy guarding the soul stone is the red skull what okay sure right we, we, yeah. we're more happy to see the actor again than anything else I, I would personally probably have a soft cap of like nine and which when, when you're starting to get to like around nine characters on your sheet especially if this isn't already counting like the other pcs you gotta start thinking about like realistically how many of these characters are you gonna have in the given session anyways yeah. 
you know, Josh was talking about recurring characters. I mean, you can just have a character perhaps just drop off the character sheet for half a season and come back uh, when another character's uh, plot is done, right? Yeah, you basically, you don't want, you don't want so many relationships on your character sheet that you forget all of them, any of them, right? If you've forgotten one of them, it shouldn't be on your character sheet anymore. And this pairs very well with the growth mechanic, which allows you to cannibalize old stuff on your sheet that you don't use anymore. So if there's some character who was really important three sessions ago, but you don't really care about them anymore, you can knock them down to boost up your guns skill, right? And that allows all of the players to kind of cull their their lists of relationships, especially, but other stuff too, which can keep those trait sets manageable. Yeah, definitely. And I think it would be good uh, to maybe talk a little bit about how someone who is using relationships in their Cortex game, uh, you know, how are we going to structure those games so that you can make sure that these relationships are actually coming into play oh, yeah. and that you don't end up forgetting about it and, you know, just focusing on like the hacking and slashing or whatever else there might be. Yeah, for sure. It's Cortex, so there's lots of ways. But for me, the way that I approach it, um, because when I'm using relationships, I'm almost always using trade statements. And I, my goal in a session is to get the players to challenge their relationships and drives and uh, values, right? So I, I set up each session with, here are these characters that you have relationships with, and they are going to make you question what you think about them. So if this is your staunch ally that you will always support, you're going to find out that they've done something terrible, or they're going to support this position that you are unlikely to support. If this is your your terrible arch rival, you're going to be locked in a room with them and you're going to have to work together to get out. This is the, the hardline version, right? Where it's, oh, we need these characters? Okay, every session I'm going to pick two characters off of everybody's sheet and make a game out of those people presenting the player characters with challenges and presenting the player characters with doubts and and conflicts as to what they believe about them those are uh, so awesome as examples and uh you you reminded me it's like such a cool and fun trope when you have like arch rivals or arch enemies that end up having to work together. Like I'm reminded about like Avatar, the last airbender when like Zuko has to like rescue the avatar. Cause he doesn't want him to get captured by yeah, other right. people in the fire nation, you know? So like he wants to be the one to bring the avatar in to restore his honor and stuff like that. But that's always really cool to see and see the dynamic of when you're sort of forced to put a different spin on that relationship than you normally see. Relationships with trade statements are, are designed, if not flip-flop back and forth, be always changing, right? And this is actually, this is a, a thing that I feel a lot of new players especially have trouble with when they hit relationships because they want to define their relationship, especially with other PCs, but in general, they want to define their relationships and then have them not change. They want to give the right answer at the start and then never 
like and and that will they'll will be unchanged throughout the the whole adventure that's that is the exact opposite of what that thing is designed to do right if you are that it is designed for you to start play with i can't stand lex luther he always does the wrong thing and then the first episode lex luther does the right thing and you have to deal with that and then once mm-hmm. you say maybe lex is okay and you change your trait statement to that the next episode lex does something terrible and you know substitute in zuko or cora or Fred Johnson or whoever you want for for Lex, right? That character is always going to be challenging. Whatever you think about them, they're going to be challenging that over and over and over again. And, you know, Cortex is the type of game, especially when you're using relationships and relationship statements where, you know, Lex might not be a GM PC. Lex might be another PC, right? Yes. And, you know, I, I think what the players could be doing uh, as they prep for this is uh, one, giving each other like a better idea of each other's characters. Uh, but then, two, when you're writing those initial statements, if you want to keep it easy on yourself, you could just write a very simple statement like, oh, I think JT is really cool. Or if you should ideally write them to be actionable um, or like setting up like a, a serve in volleyball. Uh, for the other player to like see that you think of them that way, well, they're going to do this and make you doubt that. Yes, exactly. Or I have been known to say, okay, what do you believe about this character, which is wrong? What, what do you? Oh, what do that's you think? good. And we know that it's wrong. Everyone at this table knows that you're wrong, but we're going to write it down. Or what do you think about this character? Now overstate that. Like this guy is great, or this guy is this. This is a a noble, loyal guard of the king, right? Okay, now overstatement. This guy is the only reason the king is alive, right? It's mm-hmm. once you overstate it, then you've got the play for that to be challenged, which makes for the interesting role play. Absolutely. Um, I think another example here that might be good is if you know I, I write for JT's character. I, I think JT's character has a lot to learn. And then throughout play, JT just proves me wrong about how like I underestimated JT's character. And that's that's just kind of where I'm coming from in terms of like actionable. Uh, because if you write something like that, then maybe your character thinks that they have to be a mentor for JT's character in this situation, right? That primes you to have that interaction uh, and like side scenes. Like if we imagine this is like a classic high adventure fantasy thing, you know, that primes us for like side scenes, whereas like maybe I approach JT's character at the campfire and be like, hey, I saw that you could have used a little bit of this. And then JT's like describing his character, like actually like taking care of his blade and actually practicing good swings. And we just have a conversation back and forth about that as a side thing. Kirby said primed, everybody drink. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good example, Kirby. And uh, I actually have a question for you, Kirby, um, because I know that this is something that uh, you and I have talked about and you've definitely thought about. What do you do if you're in a scene and it's really just focused maybe on like one character and you're not having a direct interaction with someone else? Can you use relationships in those types of scenes or would they just not come into play at all? Yeah. If your GM is uh, asking you to make a role, but there's literally no one else there, 
from my perspective uh, as a player, because I, I think there are like two perspectives here from uh, how the GM could be handling this scene uh, and how the player could be reacting. Uh, as a player, I think, you know, when we look at like TV shows uh, that like are centered around uh, relationships, you're not always going to have scenes uh, you're, uh, where the other characters are there. And that's natural. Uh, they're not always going to shoehorn a character here, although, you know, they often do because that's what the show's about. But um, let's say you're like doing a private investigator type thing that's centered around like this community or whatever. You've decided as the uh, gumshoe detective to go off by yourself uh, to investigate something, right? So you're by yourself. There's literally no one there. You're there for clues and your GM asks you to make a roll. So maybe you can uh, find a clue. Right. Uh, which I think is a whole different discussion. But think about why you're there. Like who essentially got you into the scene? Uh, maybe a couple scenes prior, the other player who's perhaps the victim of some crime is who you're thinking about. Or maybe on the other side of that, maybe your gumshoe detective has an arch nemesis uh, who you're pretty confident is behind the uh, crimes. Right. And so that's why you're investigating. And so you got to think about who you're doing this for. And again, that doesn't have to be negative or positive. It can even be neutral, uh, but you just got to think about that. And then from the right. GM perspective, I, I think scene frame comes in there. Sorry, Josh, were you about to say something? I was going to say, you could also, who, who gave you the clue that led you here? You could even go really meta, right? And say, oh, and I go out to this back alley where the, the perp was chased out of the building. I go out to the back alley and... I see a basketball there and I remember playing basketball with my son and here's my relationship with my son and that prompts me to shuffle around the the backyard ba uh, basketball court and that's when I see the clue, right? And this sounds like a stretch, but I've seen this scene on television, right? This sort of thing happens all the time and... I love seeing it in a game because it it knits that uh, the world of the story together, and it makes the it flushes out the characters, and it makes it so that your relationship with other people exist even if they're not in the scene with you. Right? It it makes everything more rich and more uh, lively. Yeah, and uh, to that point. I think that depending on uh, how willing your GM is to work with your backstory or, you know, different things that you might be improving in that you could actually then structure, you know, something like you could purposefully have the clue be something to do with uh, the basketball court or whatever, even if you hadn't necessarily thought about it before you would then remember that, you know, there's this whole thing with the physics of basketball. And <laughs> then it reminds you about like the trajectory of like the bullet hole. And like, I don't, I don't know, bullet, like, yeah. you're, like you're saying, it'd be a bit of a stretch. But if you have G a GM and players willing to work together to make it work, it could be a very entertaining scene to have. And for what it's worth, I, I usually like to run with reveals lists. If, if there's going to be a, an investigation and a mystery, I don't have a list of clues that they're going to find. I'm going to have a list of information that they will discover one way or another. So the, the guy ran off by jumping that fence, right? They can discover that by following tracks 
or when they do a jump shot, they see where the guy went, right? So as long as I don't, I don't necessarily have to be tied down to specific clues as long as the information is getting out mm-hmm. where that, that collaboration with the GM and the player can come into play. Yeah. And I know there are definitely like GMs out there that is listening to this and, you know, rubbing the back of their neck and they're like, gee, I, I don't know. Uh, that, that seems like a way for players to just weasel for the better relationship die. But I'm here to tell you that it's okay. Uh, as Josh and JT were just saying, like these players are hooking themselves into your story and doing it with like their own flair. And, you know, sometimes it might feel like it's stretching it, but it's really not where we get to see the character come to the fore and we get to see more interaction than, you know, if we're, if your player is just expecting you to just be the complete arbiter of like what works and what doesn't Mm -hmm. also just cortex mechanics in general, it it will come back anyways, right? It'll it'll bounce back. Um, but you know, uh, so we talked about this from the player perspective to talk about it from the GM perspective, you know, you might be thinking like how to like frame these scenes. Uh, I would encourage you to just think of books, comics, TV shows that are heavy on the relationships. And like, for example, with Smallville, you know, Smallville was a while ago, but it wasn't that far ago. They all have phones. They could have been calling each other, but we constantly had scenes where they would happily drive across Smallville to go talk to one another in face to face. In their Yaris. Every every season, they had a different product placement car that they were driving around in, which I always found amusing. Yeah, if you're (laughs) if you're doing a podcast, that's your opportunity to just put that product placement in right um but for for the listeners who are not as old as i am and who don't even know what smallville is um supernatural uh just went off the air and if you want a great example of relationships constantly changing watch supernatural because you can i mean especially since supernatural it's two brothers with a relationship with each other and almost every episode is them flip-flopping their relationship somewhat interesting in a new way. Oh, I can trust Dean. Oh, I can't trust Dean. Oh, I have to take care of Dean. Oh, Dean can take care of himself over and over and over and over again. And if once you know what to look for, you can see that the monsters are just there to make the brothers question their relationship with each other right it's it's so easy to get latched onto the big mystery of this episode or the big monster scary threat or whatever and that's that's the excuse right that's not the real meat of the episode the meat of the episode is getting them to question their relationships so as long as you focus that when you are framing that scene it's not, oh, what's the next logical progression of the monstrous threat? It's, no, how do I use the monstrous threat to get you to question your relationship with the person you don't know if they're working with the monsters or not? Yeah, Supernatural is a really great example for relationships. And not just because uh, what Josh was talking about, since you know they are constantly flipping the relationships, but there are actually like at least one scene every episode I would say, where you have Dean and uh, Sam literally just talking about 
their experiences and relationships and stuff like that. And they sort of, I forget what they call it. There's like a special name in like the supernatural fandom for those scenes. And I'm totally blanking on it right now, but they are like just literally like sitting in the car or like sitting on top of the hood. Something about the car. Um, Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. But like they literally just talk to each other. (laughs) Supernatural is also really good for tag scenes. Oh yeah. It ends. They end with tag scenes very reliably and uh, very recognizably. Yeah. And to talk about like framing scenes around the antagonist that's on your character sheet uh, that has a relationship die, right? You know, it's, it's not always fruitful to just constantly have your players throw themselves uh, at the antagonist for a fight. But that kind of circles back to like how fights can sometimes just be set dressing. Uh, but my point is, is like, if you think of like uh, the most recent Supergirl TV show, uh, which is also a drama on, I think it's on CW now, it started off on CBS. Uh, but that first season, right, uh, which is about as far as I've gotten, uh, is uh, y- you have a character who's like one of the antagonists of the season, right? And you constantly have scenes where they're interacting with uh, with what we can probably assume is a player character, right? And, you know, they're not necessarily fighting. And sometimes they might even seem to be working out some sort of deal, right? And that's kind of how you can think about framing uh, scenes when, you know, especially if you're like looking at a short list of uh, relationships on your character sheet and you just got to work in that antagonist. Yeah. And also, I mean, so if, if we've got listeners who uh, are, are not television watchers, Fellowship of the Ring is a great example because you've got your core group of characters, your, your player characters, and they all start off at the summit at Lordaeron or whatever it's called. It's not Lordaeron because that's Warcraft. Um, but yeah, they, We they, just lost thousands of fans. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Send your hate mail to Josh, not yeah. us. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to bother me. The, the place with the waterfalls. So they, they start there, and they start off almost all of them distrusting almost all of the others, right? The Gimli does not trust Legolas. Legolas does not trust, trust Gimli, right? The hobbits aren't sure about all of these tall people. Boromir is there to secure the, the weapon for the glory of Gondor, and everybody else kind of knows that that's what Boromir is going to do. Every chapter, every scene, everything that happens is more ways for them to worry about what everybody else's real allegiances are, what everyone's real ethics are, what they're going to do when the shit hits the fan, right? When you you finally get to the end of, of Fellowship and they have twisted and developed those relationships to the point where they are finally working together as a, as a unit. And that's of course when they split up, but you can, if you want to, you know, you could, you could plot that out chapter by chapter for how those relationships change and develop. Well, how those relationships are challenged, change and develop. Yeah. I, I definitely think that, that Lord of the Rings and uh, fellowship of the ring in particular are really good examples uh, for relationships. And when you think about it, really, almost any book or TV show that has good character development is inevitably going to have relationships play a role in that. In fact, I might go so far as to say that relationships are generally so important to almost any story in the modern day that if you don't have like good changing relationships, then 
your story might fall a little bit flat. <laughs> but that, that's just my perspective. I don't know uh, if either of you agree. Yeah, the relationships are an important part of any story. They don't necessarily need to be tracked with dice. Yes. If you're going to have those relationships and they're going to move in interesting ways, you might as well track them with dice, right? <laughs> yeah, and actually that was like one thing I wanted to bring up was that, you know, obviously with almost any game and any like plot line, you're, you will have these sort of interpersonal interactions and you may have, you know, especially with like the PC party or whatever, you're going to have like these recurring themes with these interactions. So you may actually have like relationships, whether or not you're including relationships as its own trait set. And so just because you know, you want to have these interpersonal interactions doesn't necessarily mean that you need to include the relationships mechanic, but it does uh, help if you want to focus a lot more on the relationships to actually have that mechanical incentive in there for it. Uh, So we've gone over like what you could be doing with relationships, how you could be framing scenes or even just down to the role of what relationships can do for you, but what exactly is the difference between it being a prime set or it just being another like trait set, right? I've answered this question on Discord a number of times, and I'm to the point where I feel like if you have any reservations about this, use relationships as a secondary set. It's fine. It works perfectly. It's great. If you want to use it as a prime set, it is more work for the GM and for the players. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm now going to go reverse myself. I don't know if it's more work, but it's different work because you're going to build your adventures and your sessions differently than if you don't have it as a prime set. If it is a prime set, you're going to start with the, the very foundation of every session is going to be those characters. You are going to thread them through every single thing that happens. And you, are, you aren't going to plan very far ahead either because those relationships statements will change. And if you're using uh, growth, those relationships may disappear off of character sheets. So really, you go, I, w- when I do this, I do it session by session. You might have a plan that reaches two or three sessions ahead, but no further than that because you just can't predict how it's going to go. So you, you start with the, the characters. I, literally, the easiest way to do this is to just pick two from every everybody's sheet, pick two from each one, and figure out how to make a session work with those characters as the spotlight. And you use them as wedges to uh, make the player characters question their, their statements with those characters and with other characters and with their values, if you're using values. And you just, you, instead of saying, like, if you were going to make a dungeon, you're going to set up encounters, right? That's your basic building blocks for that sort of game. If relationships are a prime set, your basic building blocks are those characters and the relationships that the the player characters have with them. Yeah, wow. That's a, uh, that's a lot to think about. But I, I, I think that you do, did make a lot of good points there, Josh. And, yeah, uh, and... It's different, but it's also kind of easier in a way because you you know what your tools are every time, right? You get very familiar with the materials that you're using over and over again. It's not like, man, I need to think of some new place for them to go. No, it's 
what are we going to do with these characters that we know and we keep developing more interesting backstory and developments with them? Yeah, sure. And Kirby, I was wondering, uh, did you maybe want to talk a little bit about how a game that uses relationships as a prime set might look as compared to one that only uses it as a normal trait set? Like, would you notice any particular differences, do you think? Or I'm inclined to say that it kind of circles back to what we were talking about earlier, how, like, ultimately every story has some sort of, like, relationship thing going on, right, to some degree, unless you're literally just doing a single person, man versus nature or something like that, right? I, th- I think, like, the difference here is, you know, we, we've talked about how, like, if your game is not going to necessarily explore or expect changing relationships between either your PCs among each other or PCs and characters that they come across, especially if we're looking at characters that aren't really going to be reoccurring or not expected to be reoccurring. I, I think that's a good game where you would just have relationships as a non-prime set. Yeah. Yeah. So like we we take a look at like hammerheads. I believe for hammerheads relationships aren't a prime set. You know, that's that's fair because like the main stick, right, is that you're responding to a disaster. I feel like those relationships that do sit on your sheet for hammerheads, which do come with uh, relationship statements, which I, I think maybe it's a little forgotten, at least in the games that I've ran. You know, when we're talking about like sessions where, OK, the crisis is over, we're all flying back or uh, refueling or resupplying, I think relationships are good for those scenes. And so having the relationships there is still important, even if we're not going to see it too much outside of, oh, I loan so-and-so my um, relationship die with them to help them with the thing during the crisis. Uh, we can, you know, actively like circle back and just bring that to the forefront with side scenes. Whereas like, what, what do you mean by what you said earlier? Or, hey, why did you drop kick that water tower? That was really reckless of you. I really <laughs> care about you. Why would you do that? And I, I think it's good for those kind of like side scenes when things have finally like cooled down and we're not quite at the next crisis yet, right? Yeah. I actually uh, have a question I want to throw out to both of you and uh, maybe I'll ask for uh, Josh's thoughts first because Josh, you said that uh, relationships are one of, if not the favorite Set, trait sets of yours? They're my most favorite. <laughs> okay, there you go. So can you think of any games or what do you think a game might look like that you definitely wouldn't want to have relationships and not just, you know, not have it as a prime set, but like you wouldn't include it as a trait set at all? Well, so uh, Stargate, which I, I mean, anything where you, is, it's going to have a really strong focus on exploration and meeting new people. Because then you get into this thing where, oh, I want a relationship with this person, so I'll, I'll spend that plot point. And then you kind of collect all of these relationships on your sheet that refer to people that are three planets back, right? So like Star Trek, I think, wouldn't really use relationships. Deep Space Nine would because they stay there, right? But any of the other treks, you don't really have relationships, you deal with new problems and, and, you know, new people or whatever the, the part of that quote is, right? Man, but now we're going to get all the Trekkies down our backs too, thanks to Josh. I know, but okay. yeah. I'm, I'm just, words are failing me today. <laughs> 
but yeah, I, I think on my part, I'm kind of blanking. I feel like Josh took my answer, to be honest. Wow. I can't really think of anything that would absolutely not have like relationships other than, I don't know, maybe like Justice League stuff, like the big rompy like this is the crossover uh arc stuff because there's there's not a whole lot of breathing room there but I, I don't know that's perhaps debatable well i also think anything where it is it is a given that we understand each other's characters quite well right if we're not going to be challenging our relationship statements because we we already know who each other are Ooh, we, yeah. don't, we don't need relationship statements that's not what this game is going to focus on then I, I'm going to double down on my Justice League suggestion because I, I think for Justice League arcs, like at best, your relationship might change with one character, right? The uh, the arc where they have Superman go evil, right? Then if, if it's just focused on just the one character, well, then just don't worry about relationships if everyone else is still like fine with each other, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, so we've talked about relationships, what they are, how they could be positive and negative, how they can fit in your roles, and how you can be framing your scenes or prepping for the game that you're building for it. But speaking of building games, we had a suggestion from a previous guest, Melly. I mean, I said witches earlier. Let's mash witches with something. Witches and cooking. Let's mash that up. Now, I personally couldn't think of a show that literally just had just that, uh, but that's okay. Uh, we, we're not necessarily bound to just like priming known IPs, right? <laughs> so I came up with perhaps a dumb idea. I don't know. You, you all tell me of a game that I would call Hex Kitchen. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Honestly, I, did, I don't know if I wanted it to be a competition show between witches. I think a game that I would run under that for like a more serious thing, if it wasn't like the cooking competition type deal, would be like a secret world setting where witches are like, where witches are the ones that are holding back malevolent forces from invading the earth. And uh, they all use cooking in order to help with the defenses. That's literally all I have about uh, all I have uh, for that name. But in terms of like actually priming it, uh, you absolutely have to give them signature assets, but rename it signature recipes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> for my part, you know, I thought about it a little bit and I sort of had jokingly suggested that you could call uh, witches cooking setting uh, witches brew. And I was thinking that you would have, you know, witches. Oh, yeah. Yes brew you know because like it's all the witches brewing right but uh <laughs> but yeah what, so uh what if we combine I, these two settings together if, if you have witches that are brewing but you also have witches that are cooks you know we can oh, have yeah. different schools of witches maybe you could the one idea i had for a game that would be like that would be like maybe there's some like common goal that they have in preparing whatever concoction they were making so like if it was like, oh, we're working to create a love potion for someone or I don't even know, you know, like we need to get rid of this person. So, you know, let's, you know, like brew up a curse or I, I have no idea. But but you could sort of have that and then you could have the challenges related to like what everyone's like literally bringing to the table <laughs> or to the cauldron, what have you, you know, and depending on what you know trait sets you want to use for that. And I mean, you could have relationships if you're having it a bunch of witches working together to uh, create something. You basically have it focused on them 
all contributing to whatever the ultimate goal is behind this brew. Yeah, yeah. And like whether or not it succeeds at accomplishing their goals, you know. So mm-hmm. I immediately think of like a coven of witches that is running a bakery in town. I actually I have dim recollections that Charmed had some sort of restaurant related to the witches, but I didn't actually watch that show, so I don't remember. Um, but you could totally have uh, the the coven of witches that's holding something at bay, and their day job is this bakery that they run, and they kind of take care of the rest of the the town or the village, maybe surreptitiously, maybe out as witches. I don't know which way you want to flavor that. If you had this like town that you're developing around it, then then you could go with relationships, right? Yeah, and develop those the the characters and the interactions happening in the the town at large. I think you could actually make this a a really cute cozy game, mm. um, yeah. where you know you're just nice witches who run a, a bakery and maybe fight evil on the side. You know, is that yeah. sounds like a lot of fun to me. And I, I like the idea, whether it's Witch's Brew or Hex Kitchen, um, that what they're brewing or what they're cooking or baking um, is uh, magically enchanted in such a way that it is helping the townsfolk um, resist the evils or protect them somehow. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and oh, to, to Josh's point, though, in terms of relationships, I totally agree. And even though I've actually never like worked in like a kitchen setting professionally, I feel like there's going to be a lot of like behind the scenes, like stuff going on in the kitchen. You have like the cooks and the waiters at odds sometimes, or, you know, the bus boys or whatever. So you could, I, I feel like there's a lot of fun stuff that you could do even just with like the kitchen staff. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's kitchen hierarchy at the very least. There's front of the house versus back of the house. There's, you know, who's the, the head chef and their, uh, hoarding their their secret recipes and everything, and only parceling out bits to different part, parts of the kitchen to uh, maintain their control over the recipes and everything. If we're going to be working relationships in here, those are all good ways to do it. I'm inclined because you know I I love me some affiliations. I'm inclined to make those affiliations, um, but one spin we can maybe take. Wait, I'm sorry. What are you going to make affiliations? Oh, back of the house, front of the house. It depends on how centered we are on the restaurant, like how many scenes are going to take place there. Um, because I, I, I could tell you, like I've worked um, in the food industry. My last job in the food industry was like as a host. I was trying to do like a in-between job before I joined the military. And I could tell you if, 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 if my affiliations were front of the house, back of the house, my back of the house die would be small, would be the smaller <laughs> die. I, I was super nervous around the chefs and cooks that were like in the back of the house uh, working. I, I would absolutely have a smaller affiliation die there. <laughs> but in terms of relationships, I think for such a setting, for either settings, like we could be talking about, um, if we're talking about like protecting people from, you know, the forces of evil, whether they know it or not. Um, I'm inclined to say that they don't know it. I kind of want to do relationships where it's just relationships with communities of people. Yeah. If that makes sense. Sure. But that's, that's just an idea. I, I guess it's just kind of like a halfway point between relationships and the reputation mod. Yeah. Uh, which is a mod off of uh, relationships, right? Totally. And I, I find you could also sort of hybridize that where you, 
there's a, a group of people and you have a relationship with that group, but nine times out of 10, you're going to deal with this one particular individual in that group. Um, in, in fate, they call it a face, right? It's, mm, yeah. this is the football team who comes to the, the bakery after every game or before every game because they got to carve up, right? Um, yeah. But it's, it's the quarterback who's always at the forefront of the, the team as they come in and they're the quarterback who you talk to and deal with, right? So is the relationship with the team or with the quarterback, it could go either way. And I, I don't think it would be ludicrous to codify that and make put both both bits down on the character sheet i think that's a totally valid option playing off of uh kirby's original idea of like trying to like hold something at bay too and if we wanted to incorporate affiliations or relationships you could have something like any given session there's like you find out that there whatever evil forces or people out there are targeting like a specific group or person and so then you have to focus on like, oh, what are they trying to do? Like, oh, they're trying to, um, you know, create a scandal so that the mayor loses their job and then they can put someone, you know, put their person into office or whatever. Yeah, totally. And then you have to like create something, you know, some sort of spell or brew or whatever to prevent that from happening. You've got yeah. to hear that fundraiser. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, so I, I, I could see that work. It can be pretty cool where you uh, have, you can sort of focus on a different group or person every session and ha- have the goal be like helping that person to resist the evil forces. I mean, I think it goes without saying that by the end of the first season, you find out that your opposition is the restaurant across the street, right? I mean, it's got to be. And you have to have the restaurant owner of that place like casually just come in and just seem like such a nice person <laughs> only for the reveal to happen at the end of the session that they were behind it all along. It was Agatha all along. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, that was a relationships advice with me, Kirby, Josh Roby, JT Domino. Uh, you know, the, the guy, the, the first people you think of when you think, I'm having a hard time with relationships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. You've been listening to Prime by Cortex. You can find us on all the social media. We're typically at um, Prime by Cortex on Twitter. Uh, we're also Prime by Cortex on Facebook. Uh, we're also part of the broader D20 radio community. We have a Discord. We'll include that in the show notes. And if you want to reach out, to us for you know more ideas of things we could be priming or just general questions or suggestions his up at prime by cortex at d20 radio.com josh uh, where can people find you uh all my stuff is always at joshroby.com nice and simple uh i'm also on twitter at, at joshroby and uh i am very active on the cortex discord uh come on by we love questions and uh, Josh, I'm going to put you on the spot like I did with Melly at the last minute. But um, do you have a suggestion for an IP or some sort of mashup that we can prime? Oh, man, I would love to see something historical from like the 18th century. That's just not Europe or America. All right. Bet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> we'll, wow. we'll do it. My first instinct is maybe like something with like uh, feudal China or 
Japan or something like that. But I, I mean, there's so many other things you can do that don't involve Europe or America. So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to think on that one. That sounds really fun. Well, I think JT and I need to get our library cards renewed <laughs> if it has expired. And we're, we're going to have to hit the books on this one. And I love the fact that we have to do that. Thank you, Josh, for coming on the show today. And uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. See ya. Thank you for having me.